This last week, there has been great unrest in different parts of the world, from political anarchy in South Africa to catastrophic floods in Germany to scorching heat waves in the US Canada region. In light of all of these events, we reached out to South African based psychologist Rocky Bikram, a mental health blogger, for some tips on how to self care during a crisis, especially when your body is in flight or flight mode. Welcome to Hype Woman, the podcast, Rocky Bikram. Rocky is a Durban-based psychologist and businesswoman, something of an Indian Brene Brown. And she's here to talk to us about how to self-care during a trauma and just a little bit of a backstory. So welcome, Rocky. Hi, Serona. Thank you so much for for allowing me uh, to uh, share my insights on self-care during trauma. And thank you for that intro. I've never been called that before, but that is a huge compliment. I, I, the thing is, I'm not based in Durban, so we haven't met personally, but I follow all of your posts and it just resonates so well with like, I'm here in, in Germany, but I know friends of mine will, will, will screen grab and share it online and vice versa. And I thought, oh, wow, she's very relevant. Just to give a bit of perspective, Durban and mental health, for me, those two don't go together very well. <laughs> it's like you tell somebody, you try to set boundaries or mental health. It's just not a thing that we have been accustomed to. And I'm curious about how you found your niche in this city. Yes, I, I completely get what you're saying. I think being Indian and yes. uh, Durban has a huge Indian population. Uh, mental health is not something that is thought about often, talked about often enough. There's still stigma about help seeking. Things like self-care seem to be selfish because yes. uh, we grow up in a society where self-sacrifice is great, which self-sacrifice is great. But we're never taught by anyone. We've never had role models for taking care of ourselves. Yeah. And it doesn't come naturally to us. And sometimes we might be frowned upon. So I think my, my profession has allowed me to see that, to, to recognize brown mental health, if that's what we could call it. And within Indian communities, especially uh, such as in, in South Africa. Wow. Yeah. And tell me, in the last week, so... Just to put this into context, we were going to do a podcast a long time ago on, on I think it was, I, I can't remember what it was about, but then events happened last week that I was like, okay, can we please do this? Because this is relevant. Tell me what has happened last week in KZN, because here on this side in Germany, we've had floods that was just like epic proportions. It's just like since World War II, there's never been so much of devastation and it hasn't affected me personally, but I know people who lost their houses and the numbers are counted to, to the amount of people that have lost their lives. And it is traumatizing. This will affect people differently, but I also know my family in South Africa have experienced another kind of trauma all in the same week. So you tell me from your experience, what happened last week? So it's so interesting that there, there was so much going on in so many parts of the world. And I think there was a lot of trauma, yeah. a lot of unrest. So KZN has actually been the epicenter of the civil unrest that we've experienced in South Africa. Obviously, it's begun with political tensions, yes. but, but the looting, the burning of buildings have impacted on people in so many different ways. There are many who've been personally affected lives being lost, livelihoods being lost, yes. because people have completely lost businesses, which 
are not going to be possible to recover anytime in the near future. Many people have lost employment. We've lost our sense of safety. 27 years into a democracy, none of us have ever expected something like this. And nobody at any level was even prepared for this. I think we could see it from the top right to the bottom. None of us were prepared for what we faced in the last week. Our basic sense of safety and security was threatened from our physical safety to the fact that we could not access food easily. And, and we, these are things that we rely on for our basic survival. So the trauma that we experienced was on a completely different level than anyone would have expected that we would have. I know. So something that you pointed out was really interesting is that all of this was just unexpected. And so it's like this shock to your system. I know for me, I spent a lot of time last week just doom scrolling when I found out at first somebody sent me a picture of Reservoir Hills Mall being burnt down. And I thought I grew up in Reservoir Hills. So I know this area. I know this mall. I've been there so many times. But I, I was just like, oh, just a riot. Not a big deal. But then I saw all the other places getting burnt down. And I was like, oh, what is going on now? And, and I just, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep for like the whole week. And I would wake up at, wait till six in the morning and then message my family to see if everyone's still alive. But I literally had like knots in my stomach. And I, I had so many other things going on, like work-wise, that I thought, that just took a back seat. I myself didn't know how to deal with this and I wasn't even there. Like, how did you deal with it? What was your first thoughts and reactions when you realized, okay, this is not normal? Okay, so before I even get there, I'm interested <laughs> what you've said about you being in a completely different continent. And thankfully the time zone helps because yeah. there isn't a time difference <laughs> now. But do you know, in order for us to experience trauma, we do not have to directly experience it. Just mm -hmm. witnessing the trauma or hearing about it, watching the news, checking social media, checking in with your family and listening to what they've been through, that is already a traumatic experience, even if you were not directly there. So you could be halfway across the world like you are and still experience the trauma. So for me, I recognize as a psychologist, I think we, we overthink about everything. <laughs> Not necessarily in a negative way, but when there's a trauma, initially we go into, our body goes into a stress response. So there's flight, fight, or freeze. And I think it, it was, perhaps we go through the different stages. The flight ways, we want to avoid it, or maybe we distract ourselves with other things. It could be overworking. For some people, it could be negative things like substances, or maybe mm -hmm. just uh, Netflix or watching TikTok videos unrelated to it. For many people, they get into a fight response where we've seen it, where communities came together, they were angry. And yes. in order to protect themselves, it was trying to, to fight back, to fight the threat in some way by getting together, banding together and taking some sort of action. So at some point I was spurred into that and I don't have weapons. It was a golf stick that was the one thing I could take, mm -hmm. but I, I helped join the community patrols for a few days until it was a bit overwhelming and I needed some normality. But so there was a flight response, but mostly I went into a freeze response, which is being completely demotivated, unproductive, not knowing mm -hmm. what to do. Overthinking as well about, about the bigger political implications yes. for the country. And I, I think thankfully, in order, I felt helpless like many people did because we didn't know how bad it was going to get, how long it would last for whether our homes would be attacked and looted. Eventually, I wanted to feel productive and I felt I was helpless, but how can I help? And I think we come back to what am I? Okay, I'm a psychologist. What am I good at? 
And yes. that is when I used the platforms I had available to me to try to, to make sense of it, not necessarily to spread positivity, because I don't believe in toxic positivity. We were going through a real trauma. But I think reaching out on a very human level to help people make sense of what they were going through and try to bring some sort of encouragement and try to get us to focus on what we can control so we can start to feel a little bit hopeful. Well, that's it, actually. I like what you said as well about not having to have experienced it directly to be affected because I'm also a part of this expat group where there's, I think, thousands of South Africans around the world who are like constantly trying to see how they can assist. And it was interesting because one guy actually was like, I know this sounds crazy, but we could buy a ship and send over food. And he was dead serious. But it's just amazing at how also I think what you said, fight or flight, like people came together to try to help. And we've seen the same thing here, like tons of people just going down to these uh, places that have been destroyed by floods and we're like, it's not even safe to do. Like your instinct is let me try to help. But how do we take care of ourselves within this like traumatic experience and sometimes okay there's so many questions like how do we even know that we're struggling with trauma because a lot of times again depending on how you're raised trauma is not a word we use so I think there are various ways to recognize I think I've spoken about fight flight or freeze and some of us might still be stuck there or some of us have might have moved past that initial stress response But as the days move on, as we try to unpack what has happened, or we recognize what we've had to endure, what we've had to overcome in the past week, while we're still not feeling 100% safe, because we aren't sure that that it is over. So I think it's checking in on ourselves. One thing we we realized as South Africans, and and as you've seen in Germany, just as a side story, Germany is very close to my heart, because I was very (laughs) ill when I was in Germany. And I had the most amazing experience, which is a story for another day. So, so Germany is also really, really. Oh no, no! I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you that that tangent to use right now to tell us why it is because we have listeners, like a lot of German listeners, a lot of yeah, like all over the world. So I love how these stories somehow tie together. So tell me your story. So I was initially in Amsterdam, and I experienced the worst pain of my life, and and I have a high pain threshold, but and I tried to get some medical help in Amsterdam. And it, it really was not okay. And people were, maybe they very chilled in Amsterdam for reasons. So nobody was really bothered. But by the time I got to Berlin, the assistance I got from every single person, from the hotel that I stayed in, to having seen doctors, ensure that I got the treatment that I wanted. Physiotherapists who were booked up accommodated me. I Thankfully, we speak Afrikaans here. And I only... <laughs> I only learned enough German, tourist German, but medical German was something I didn't know. And I eventually had to see an orthopedic surgeon who never spoke English. And I spoke in Afrikaans and and, and it helped. He understood what I needed and what I was going through. Wait, wait, wait. What did you say? What did you say? I can't even remember at the time. I can't remember, but, you know, I was able to explain what I was experiencing and where I needed the injection at the time. And whatever it was, because the languages are similar somewhat, he was able to understand what I needed. And they've made a very traumatic experience so beautiful and pleasant for me that I, I cannot wait to visit Germany again. And the, the love that you feel, and you especially when you're going through a difficult time, because everywhere is beautiful when you're a happy tourist. But when you're in pain and you're suffering, you see the true spirit of the countryman. And I have yeah, to laugh so- at this because this is actually 
the opposite. I agree with you. I think to be sick in a country where you don't understand the language is in itself traumatizing. And I've had this experience, ironically, as my husband is a doctor, but I've always dreaded having to explain to someone else, this is what's happening. And even having a child here in during the first year, I joke with my husband and I said, I'm still suffering from post-traumatic stress from that experience. But I I have since then, like my germs gotten better. I've had like tremendous luck with good doctors as well now, to the point that every time I go to um, the pediatrician and if my husband's not there, she just like talks to me about everything else. So I like, it, it's taken time though. But yeah, even something as small as that, were you not afraid that you could not express yourself in, in English? I think the compassion that I received, I, there was no fear. Okay. And, and that is what has been such a touching experience for me that my husband was a lot more panic stricken than I was and was ready yeah. to get home on the next flight. And I wished I could have extended my stay even <laughs> with excruciating, but it's just because they made that difficult experience so much more easy for me. Next time we'll take you on a tour of the uni clinic here. Yeah. But yeah, so that that's really interesting. But yeah, back to our current situation. What have you experienced with the people around you and how have you had to counsel them so i've had to get into action very quickly uh even though it wasn't easy for me because because you yourself was going through this right 100 you know a psychologist if we're going through something so if you're going through a divorce or you're grieving normally we wouldn't take on those cases but then COVID hit last year and we were still finding ourselves because we were also experiencing everything our patients were and for the first time psychologists were meant to help others with something they were still processing themselves. And so thankfully, COVID prepared me for we've got to learn to process our own stuff, because we need to help others. And then there was the unrest and immediately and this is what I loved corporates got on board immediately to want to help their employees wherever they were. So just providing, you know, providing food, medication, even accommodation elsewhere. And then also thinking about the psychological support. I, I mean, on Tuesday already I've had last week, uh, a day into it, I had corporates reach out for me to assist. So I think it's again for me to ground, I've had to feel it to myself. So the first thing I had to do was go through my process of feeling, acknowledging, etc. And then to find my sense of agency, but it helped me because I yeah. felt purposeful yes. that I can whatever strength I already have, which, which is my profession and my professional background to help other people who were going through it. And through it, we begin to heal. So I think a lot of our safety has been disrupted. Our sense of our feeling of safety and security, just in general, the safe, our physical safety was compromised because there was danger all around us. We needed then to, to find safe spaces. Our community again came through to, to make sure that we were safe. We needed to feel safe emotionally, having safe people, which is not always easy because we deal with trauma so differently. Some people seem to have coped on the day I, I had to drive down to my office, which isn't far away. People were jogging on the road, but initially that, that judgment kicks in and you think, oh my word, people are judging, <laughs> are jogging, countries in crisis are burning. But again, I stopped and knowing how to be yeah. compassionate, recognize that that is their way of coping. That is what they need to do for them. And in the same way, others will judge us because the way we cope isn't the way that they would. So some people might overwork and they're overly productive at the uh-huh. time. On the other hand, others cannot do a thing. We can't focus. But it's recognizing that the stress and trauma response is so different for each individual. Some people want to talk about it all the time. And other people feel, well, it's actually not helping them to talk about it and focus. 
So we recognize our individuality in dealing with things and whatever you're feeling is okay even if it's not how the next person feels. I think we need to give ourselves permission to not be okay and to not have to cope exactly like the next person is coping. It seems like you've just stolen like all of my talking points. I, I actually wanted to ask, yeah, let's talk about the statement, it's okay to not be okay. And you've just mentioned how people cope differently and also very interesting about the judgment of how we are with judging each other and how we cope. Because by the weekend, I was just, I really needed to just escape everything. And, and yet I knew that people needed help here. And somehow I was like, I, I can't. Like my husband, he wanted to get involved. And I was like, I, like we planned to go to, the, to, to Amsterdam for the weekend. And he was like, ah, oh, can we cancel? And I was like, no, I need to go. You can come back and help. And there was a lot of guilt attached to that because it wasn't something that happens all the time. But yeah, how do you, how do you say, how do we comfort someone who's experienced experiencing a trauma that we're not, not necessarily experiencing or our reactions are not the same. I think the first thing is to acknowledge that you have somewhat experienced the trauma, even though it was vicarious from a different country. Again, you were going through hectic floods at the same time. So a lot of people that you knew were going through a difficult time. It's a strength, not a weakness to step back and say, I actually cannot do anything for others until I fill this cup of mine. And we yeah. know this, it's an old saying, one of the, the most uh, popular sayings about self-care, that you can't pour from an empty cup. But it is true. And if going to Amsterdam on the weekend was your way of filling your cup, so you had more to give to your loved ones, so you could be more supportive to them in whatever way, whether it was practically or emotionally, that is what you needed to do. But often we raised to feel guilty. Yeah. Uh, because other people have it worse. We can at the same time acknowledge that other people are going through difficulty, great difficulty, but I know that I need to do this thing for me. Whether it was going to Amsterdam, whether it was having uh, sleeping for a whole day or binge watching Netflix to escape for a while, before you filled your cup enough to give to others, we must recognize that we're of no use to other people if we cannot take care of ourselves first. So there will always be people that will judge us or shame us for it. Let us not be those people that do it to ourselves, that internalize that external shame and guilt. And often it comes from our upbringing because we're yeah. taught to always pray for others and do the right thing. But we're learning more and more that in order to help others, we need to be okay for ourselves. If you have kids, you have to take care of yourself. It oh, sounds yes. counterintuitive. There's no way that you can be a good parent if your cup is completely drained because you have nothing to give to your kids. So not only do we need to model taking care of ourselves, but we also need to recognize that in order to be a good parent, a good partner, a good employee, a good employer, we need to fill that cup. So if going to Amsterdam is what it is, and explain it. And when it's someone personally like your partner to say, I know that you want to help. In order for me to help, I just need to help myself in this little way first, and then I'll have more to give. So yeah. I think it's communicating about it so there isn't misunderstanding and there's less room for judging the other person. Absolutely. That's, I love what you just said. Uh, let us not be the ones to judge ourselves. That's really huge. Let's talk about exhaustion because we're still in a pandemic and I know the situation in South Africa. I've been one of those people who've lost three relatives in a space of three weeks. And like when I speak to people here who've been through the same, people are exhausted. And yet at the same time, life goes on, 
We have to be productive. We have to carry on. But let's talk about unhealthy ways of dealing with this trauma. What does that look like? When I spoke about flight, fight or freeze, sometimes we flight, we want to run away from whether it was dealing with COVID or the third wave that we're experiencing in South Africa. And believe me, case it in for a while, we, we forgot about COVID naturally. But the, the fatigue was there. This year has been exhausting enough already, even before this occurred. We were not in a good place. And I think it's important to acknowledge it that and, and be compassionate enough to recognize why we're in this place. So it's not because we are lazy or we are demotivated. It's because we have been going through a lot. So we need to cut ourselves some slack for that to recognize, listen, this year has been hard. We thought 2020 was difficult and there was 2021 saying, let me show you. And, and 2021 has been a hard year. So there's been the COVID fatigue and now the unrest. So often in times of trauma, because our body again uh, goes into flight, fight, freeze, there's a lot of adrenaline, which yes. means that one of the things will be affected is our sleep. And the simple explanation for that is because our body senses there's danger, we're on high alert to protect ourselves. But sometimes the danger subsides, but we still can't sleep because we're afraid, because our mind is, there might be a false alarm of mm -hmm. what if there's still danger. So we haven't slept. You're in a different continent and you also have lost sleep yeah. about what you've been seeing on the news on social media. So we need to acknowledge that we're tired. Also in terms of trauma, we're not always very connected with our bodies. And I can tell you the wisdom that comes from our body is incredible. We've got to take time to slow down and tune into our body and notice what is our body telling us? What do we need? Do I need to sleep, rest? Do I need to exercise? Do I need to breathe? Or do I need time in nature? Yeah. The body will always tell you what it needs. So slow down and tune into that. Like I was saying earlier, we were so good at checking in on other people that we need to start checking in on ourselves to how yeah. am I doing? What do I need? That's so hard to do, but so necessary. And I definitely try to follow this because I think I was listening to something else about how anxiety impacts I think the onset of chronic diseases. And yeah, how can people listen? or be more in tune with their body? What do you do? Okay, so, I, and what I do, so I'm naturally anxious, so I, I had to learn <laughs> to deal with anxiety for a very long time. But also in my profession, I, I listen to things on a daily basis that are not always easy to hear. I, I witness suffering as part of my, <laughs> my daily life. So at, at my own time for spirituality, for prayer and meditation is crucial. Mm -hmm. I start off my day without looking at my phone. Okay. Uh, I, Many people are still in bed and, and reach out for their phone. So I, I take a few minutes to compose myself at the start of the day when I open my eyes. I repeat affirmations to myself so I can start my day uh, on a good note. Whether it's saying, and, and I'm realistic about it. I'm, I'm not overly optimistic or unrealistically. Optimistic. Even when everything's burning around you and the gunshots are going up? I'm realistic. So for example, say that I'm going to have a calmer day today. I would never say in the midst of unrest, I'm going to have a fabulous day because there was no way there was a fabulous day possible. But I would say I'm going to have a calmer day or I'm choosing to have a more productive day today. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I think it's important to be realistic, but starting your day in the right frame of mind. Personally, for me, like I said, prayer is important because yeah. I need some way to ground myself. I, I think our larger spiritual beliefs are important when you're dealing with suffering of so yeah. many people. Yeah. that we've also got to understand suffering but it's also wanting help from a higher power so I can be of help to other people so I can make some difference even if it's to one person 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we might have people who are not spiritual, but I totally agree with you. So yes, where, what is the feeling like now, like around you in Durban? What is it like? I know that you said there's still a lot of uncertainty. It just reminds me of this one, this one quote, the only two things that we're certain of in life is death and taxes. And, and this just completely reinforces everything. But yeah, what is the feeling right now and how... Yeah, what is the stages of recovery? Yeah, I think everyone is in a different place given what their personal experience has been. So this week, many have started to regain some sense of normality, trying to go back to work as normal. But many haven't had work to go back to because businesses, because their workplace has been looted and completely burnt down and there's no physical structure. So I think prior to this, many people were working from home anyway, Mm -hmm. but many people's livelihoods have been disrupted. So even for those, I was able to return to work because of what I do, but it was very hard for me to return to work because I'm very mindful about those people who had no work to go back to, who've lost their businesses during this time. So even in regaining some sort of normality, it has been hard. People seem to be feeling a little safer given that there hasn't been anything significant that's occurred. Their underlying issues are... yes. Racism, whether it's a smokescreen for bigger issues that have been created or have reared its ugly head in society. So I think there's a a slow sense of safety being reestablished as we speak. But I think at the back of our mind, we're all cautious. I've spoken to people who've who've said that one thing they've learned is to never not have enough groceries to last two weeks. (laughs) And people have, and and I don't think they were unrealistic in doing that. We always want to caution against piling and panic buying and we've got to be mindful that there are other people who need stuff but when you people who were left in a position with nothing to eat and that was the reality it doesn't matter how much of money you've had during the last oh, week, yeah you know there was no shop and there was no bread available something we depend on yeah. and perhaps even take for granted so I think that it has affected us we are always changed by trauma uh, South Africa and is our true South African spirit, that spirit of Ubuntu we speak about has just been so prominent. Yeah. I think it's helped a lot of people rebuild hope because even sooner than we could even think of it, people were rebuilding, getting together. Oh. The help was the one thing. When you speak of someone in Germany wanting to buy a ship to send supplies to South Africa, that just tells you about the heart of South Africans wherever they are yeah. in the world. We've seen it. Every person that's reached out. I've seen so many offers of help, whether it was for baby formula or for a loaf of bread. People went out of their way to try to help other people. Having said that, there's something in between that might be missed for a few years. Yes. And mourning what we've been through. And I think if we kind of skip that, there's a possibility it might impact on us in the long term. And I, again, I say, I'm not, like I said, I'm not unrealistically optimistic. Mm. Neither am I, but I'm being realistic yeah. in psychology. We want to avoid or prevent uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from developing later on. And part of that is... If I can just stop you quickly, sorry, because this is akin to sometimes you're in this toxic relationship where you had this huge fight one one night, the next morning, and you're like, everything's fine again, and but nothing's been said about what just happened there. I think some people are in that process, but many aren't. And again, because we all cope really differently, trauma and with stress, sometimes it's avoidance, not even wanting to go there. But it's important 
important to go there, to yes. acknowledge whatever losses we have experienced during this time. Not all losses were human losses, some were, yeah. but the loss of your livelihood, the loss of your business, having a business that you grew from scratch is like having a baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, only you would know the blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifices that go go into that go into building a business and to have it completely non-existent. Yeah. It's also hard for those to see others go back to normal when they don't have a normal to go back to. So it's important to to grieve. Yeah, how can people grieve? How do we actually intentionally learn how to grieve and mourn this process, this in-between stage that we sometimes miss? And grieving does not mean that we need to be sad or crying all of the time, uh-huh. but it means making some space in our day, some space in our lives to grieve, to he- feel so we can heal. Uh-huh. And it's just quite time to process what did we lose in this time and right. to mourn those losses. So whether it was a loss of life, whether it was a loss of business, a place of employment during this time, our sense of safety that we lost, that we perhaps felt beforehand, or even familiar spaces, whether it was a shopping mall, like you said, you've lost a familiar place, being far away, but it was something that was familiar, something that was very normal for you was no longer there. And we need to grieve. So if you need to cry, and crying is a lot easier for females because, you know, you cry and lot more socially acceptable but men have also had to lose a lot yes. to be in the vulnerable position of ensuring their family safety because yeah. their family safety was threatened during this time so I want to say process all the feelings and emotions that you have by just sitting and allowing yourself to feel it but recognizing where you are as well not to get lost in the feelings but mm-hmm. to identify what the emotions are there's a lot of anger which is completely understandable and expected. But what I want to say in feeling and acknowledging your emotions, we don't always have to act from a place of emotion. We must still take time to feel it and, and pause and think before we make especially big decisions about right. how to move forward. How do you feel safe when everything is uncertain? I think it's focusing on the different aspects of safety. So The reason we often feel out of control or helpless is when our focus is on things that are not in our control. Mm -hmm. So it's choosing to focus or refocus your mind on what is in my control, what is Mm -hmm. in my direct control. So if you focus on the army is not deployed, where is the army? What is the government doing? (laughs) Yes, we will feel enraged and we will feel helpless. But when we focus on what is in my control to feel safe, so what is in my control to feel physically safe, are there other measures that I need to take to make my home physically safer for me? During this time, we've all, I think, developed networks that we might not have had before. I know my immediate neighbors and I know nobody else, but now I know a lot more people. So building on those networks and knowing who our support is in this time, who are the safe people that we can speak to, compassionate, who are non-judgmental, who are empathic, where we feel safe and heard and validated during this time also being safe for ourselves are we safe for ourselves do we allow ourselves to to heal to feel what we need to do we make healthy like you spoke healthier coping choices are we turning to past behaviors that worked maybe in the past for us that don't serve us anymore do you know so it, it's general children regress in times of trauma but so do adults so children yeah. thumb sucking but as adults we might if alcohol worked in the past to numb and block things out we might go back there or over-the-counter medication that yeah. non prescription or sometimes going back to unhealthy relationships that we might have left in the past yeah. but because it was familiar and we're wanting a sense of familiarity 
we go back to what's familiar, but not necessarily good or healthy for us. Oh, so wow. today, are our coping mechanisms serving us where we are right now? That is so enlightening. <laughs> the, wow, that's very interesting. I never thought about it like that. But yeah, wow. So we have to recognize this. How do we like stay accountable to ourselves? Like, my thing is doom scrolling. I'll just scroll and scroll until, yeah until my, my, my wrist is hurting. And I think we realized with COVID and even with the unrest last week was the doom scrolling was um, further exacerbating the anxiety that was already there, yeah. where anxiety is a very normal reaction to an abnormal situation. We've had COVID, very abnormal. Then we've had the unrest, even more abnormal than we were used, we've gotten used to this year. So doom scrolling, definitely not helpful. I think it's finding a balance one thing I'm very grateful for that we've had COVID and we've had this unrest when we have social media, because we have technology, which has been such a, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> exactly. We were able to keep informed so we can keep ourselves safe because we, we can we have access to information to keep ourselves safe. We can access support in that way. But on the other end of the continuum, it makes us more anxious when we're reading things that are not always helpful for us or we're reading sources of information that are not always reliable, mm -hmm. or we're reading the comment section of something where we know they keep board warriors and people who are evoking more fear in us. So yes. I think it's finding a balance between choosing reliable sources of information uh, and having a balance between what access, what information we access online. I think that is completely crucial for us. I wanted to talk about something because this idea of trauma has been on my mind like for a while now, not just since this incident, but I think we're still in a pandemic. For the most part, life seems to have gotten back to normal, except the world isn't what it was. We've traveled even in a pandemic, and I can tell you the whole process, even with your kids, it's your mask up, you're doing, how do you say, you're... you're social distancing, you're wearing masks, you're doing the, the tests, the, like sometimes two tests, and it's different. Everything is different. You're hypersensitive as well. Is this whole like time and period in our life, is that going to be a whole trauma as well that we need to get therapy for later on or, or how? It seems pretty much like we call it the new normal. Except it's not normal. Not. So you probably don't, you can't even remember what life was like before the pandemic even started. Yeah. Um, I think it's how we process it yeah. uh, and how we move through it that will influence how we cope later on. Yeah. Uh, mental health, for example, there's always been a mental health challenge in the whole world, but we've seen more mental health problems during this time. But paying attention to it and getting help for it when you need to is what will help us. Staying in the present or being mindful is something that always helps me. So it's not that we should never plan for the future. We must. Yeah. But I think it's important to embrace and, and live in the present, knowing that everything is temporary. There have been pandemics before, but pandemics have ended. And, and whether you, you believe it or not, life does pretty much go back to normal. Like I said, we will be changed yeah. by what we go through, but it doesn't necessarily have to define us. And I think we've seen between the waves, many people yeah. had gone back to Many people were living like there was no pandemic. So I think that overall, there's a sense that we will reestablish some sense of normality, but for now we're here. And it's important to remind ourselves that as much as life has changed, as much as we might feel robbed, that the measures that we have to take are protective. They're meant to help our families, to keep us safe, to ensure that, that we survive this, that we overcome it. 
So focus on what you can do in the present for yourself, because this is all, we can only ever act in the present. The past is gone. The future will take care of when we get there. But when you do the best you can with what you have, where you are, things take care of themselves in future. That is so true. That's really amazing. I always say, yeah, take care of the little that you have and the rest will take care of itself. Just to to wrap up, I think you mentioned somewhere, was it on social media, that things could have been worse. How does the statement help us cope? Okay, so I, I, I probably taken out of context. So okay. I mean, <laughs> no <Okay>. problem, explain. <laughs> Yeah. So I think it can be very invalidating to say that okay. to someone who, uh, who's been through great trauma, that it could have yeah. been worse. Yeah. Uh, but I think one of the stages that we eventually go through after feeling, after grieving, to come to how could the situation have been worse, just to give us a little perspective, but yeah. certainly not to invalidate the trauma and the loss that we've experienced in this time. But we can only ever get to that phase when we've been through the stages of grieving and starting to heal, where we ask, and, and I do this for myself, in, yeah. in any stressful, difficult situation, I do ask, how could the situation have been worse to give myself perspective? And we're able to realize that what we thought was 10 out of 10 on, on the disaster scale, maybe it's seven, maybe it isn't yeah. really. And I'm able to answer the question to say, we were able to have food to eat during this time, yeah. or our family was kept safe during this yeah. time. It's choosing to not solely focus on what was negative, acknowledging that there's a lot negative about it, but focusing on also trying to find those glimmers of hope and those sparks of recognize that people do come through for you. That we are more resilient than we ever realized we are. We don't recognize how resilient we are unless we are thrown into the deep end like we were, but we we swam to the shore. We really did. And, And one thing that really helps me ground myself is a quote by John Kabat-Zinn, who was one of the founders of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which says, as long as I am breathing, there is more that is right with me than is wrong with me, no matter what is wrong with me. That's funny. You just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that is really powerful and so true. Because when I was speaking to my parents last week, when all of this was happening and I'm not there, I can't hug my parents. I can't tell them everything's going to be okay because here I am in a first world country. I'm not struggling the way you are. And then I just, I like, I could see that they were struggling too. And I just said to them, don't like, we have a business as well. They were worried about their business. And I said, don't worry about that. Live till the end of of today. And if you survive the end of today, then just be grateful for what you had today. And they were like, like my dad was like, okay. But the next day he was like, that actually helped me sleep that night. (laughs) And I think it's so true that we catastrophize so much about the future that we bring the anxiety about the future into the present. But the thing that we catastrophize about may not even happen. So we have suffered unnecessarily. Yes, for our own suffering oh I was doing that I was doing that all the time I was like oh my god these poor kids they don't have any formula I had a friend who's like saying to me we have someone who has a kid and she doesn't have any formula and I was like okay what can I ask or what can I do (laughs) and then yeah within a few days everything was sorted out but it was really amazing to see how people come together both here in Germany and in South Africa 
I even said to my husband, I'm so jealous now. Yeah. Side note, I see that you've also started a an online business, like what was it, is it jewelry or a jewelry line or something like that? How did that come about? Yes, so I think the COVID has been a very difficult time. And I think this started, especially in the second wave, really, when I was dealing with COVID loss on a daily basis. Every, oh, wow. every single day, I was seeing people who were dealing with COVID loss. And loss is hard, but loss during COVID and due to COVID has brought about complications we've never seen before. And I needed to find something that could give me some joy or some distraction. And that's when I started Sitara, which meant to be a hobby. And yeah. I'm amazed. And I, I think the most beautiful part is when women say that it helps them feel beautiful because I, I just started it as something to keep myself distracted. The funny, this is really hilarious. The, the, the part of it that really helps me is I name all my pieces and, that, and naming all my pieces. It might sound like the silliest thing in the world, but that is something that that gives me so much joy because oh, it distracts from from all the darkness around, uh-huh. um, and that has helped kept me going during this time. So I didn't expect it to grow as it did. Interestingly, my grandfather was a jeweler, but but this oh. was never in my mind. I I cannot draw to save my life, but I eventually started to design my own pieces. I have oh. no, and I've started to now design, which has made it, it's been a beautiful outlet, creative outlet for me during this time. Yes, that's the beauty part of this period. There's always some kind of lightness that comes out of all of this darkness. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for, I, I know that you're fully booked this week with so many other interviews on this topic. And yeah, maybe we'll chat again soon. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad we did it. And and I guess the time worked out perfectly uh, that we did it now when perhaps these topics are much more needed. So thank Absolutely. you, Sabrina, for inviting me. And I enjoyed and love talking to you today. Hey, friends. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Um, just a quick announcement. We've got a new website out. I'm so excited to share this with you. Um, it's been months in the making. Um, head over to www.thehypewoman.com. That's woman with E-N. Um, share it, like it, tell us what you think. And for those of you who thought about starting your own podcast, but you have no experience or no idea where to start, well, guess what? I'll be doing a workshop on the 15th of August on how to start your own podcast. So bring your questions. I'll share all the things that I've learned in the last year and head over to the website. There's more about the workshop on um, under online workshops. Um, yeah, and I look forward to hearing more from you. So thank you for listening.